Good morning and welcome to West Seattle Christian Church. If you are new, welcome. If not, welcome back. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Unqualified, which we'll jump into in just a minute. But first, I want to go over just a few announcements uh, for some things that are coming up uh, here at the church. Number one, next week on Sunday, uh, October 18th, we're having a baptism class. So if you are interested in baptism or you know somebody who is, you can jump on our blog and sign up. You can email us at hello at westseattlechristian.church, uh, and you can sign up for that. Uh, my wife and I will be teaching that, and it should be a good time. So it'll be on Sunday morning. Uh, in lieu of having a, a physical service, we'll have that, and you can watch the online service at your own pace, uh, however you want to do that. Also, uh, coming up on November 1st, that's the date for our next uh, monthly prayer gathering. Um, you can sign up on our blog, uh, find the blog post on there and fill out the form and we'll give you a link to the Zoom room. And uh, also that day, in case you forget, uh, that is when daylight savings time ends. So um, mark that on your calendar as well. Last thing I wanna uh, remind all of you about is that we're doing a, a, a progression of readings. We're doing reading through the New Testament together. There is a blog post with a bunch of really excellent uh, videos from the Bible Project, which takes you through each book of the Bible that we are studying. It's a visual way of getting like the nuts and bolts of each book and even does some deep dive in there that's very succinct, easily understandable and, um, and visual because not all of us can just listen to something. Um, if you're like me, it's really great to be able to see it as well. And so I encourage you to check that blog post out and join us. It's uh, go as you at your, at your own speed, but we we've ha have a suggested schedule for you to follow. And so, if you haven't started already, you can jump in wherever we're at and just uh, go back and pick up what you didn't get uh, when you have time later. So I encourage you to do that. And along with that, I encourage you to visit our racial justice page on our website. If if you don't know where to start with everything that's going on in the world right now the two pandemics that we're dealing with, one with COVID-19 and one with racial justice, I would encourage you to um, start on our page there and um, start reading through the resources. And of course, if you have any questions, need more direction with that, um, please email us at hello at westseattlechristian.church. Okay, as I said, we are in this series called Unqualified, and today we're going to take a little bit of a different angle on things, and we're going to talk about a character whose name we really don't know again, um, but we're just going to call him Legion. And, and if you're not familiar with this story, we're talking about a man that Jesus and his disciples encounter who has been possessed by not one demon, but many demons, and the demon says his name, or its name, is Legion. And uh, we're going to come about this a roundabout way, but I encourage you to stay with me because I think there's some things we can learn about this individual um, that are really important for our walk with Jesus. So let's begin by uh, reading uh, from uh, re hearing a reading from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, and um, I hope you enjoy this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, 
but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons off his feet. No one has strong enough to subdue him. Night and day amongst the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us amongst the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And now he has mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So before we go further, I mean, this is one of those stories that, um, uh, you know, this week Barry and I were discussing this. And it's like, when you read it at first go, you're like, what's going on here? There's a lot more that you want to dive into. So I, I've done that for you. And we're going we're gonna to take a look at this a little bit more fully. So let's start with the Decapolis. Um, why is that important in and of itself? And it kind of like sets the scene for what's going on here. So the story begins with Jesus and his disciples crossing over to the other side of the lake. And in case you're wondering where that is, boom, there's a picture for you. And we're going to leave this up for just a minute. Here is the geography. Uh, Jesus is going across the lake over to the area of the Decapolis. But the story is not just about geography. What's happening here is that they are literally stepping into enemy territory because going to the other side of, and going to the other side of the lake reveals some major differences between the Jewish people and the people who are on the other side of the lake. There's two societies there and they have a lot of big differences, um, not just in the physical location. So the Gerasenes was part of the Decapolis, which was a group of about 10, well, it was 10 cities, uh, Greco-Roman cities. And some people think that the people who are living in these cities are the descendants of the people who were dispersed way back in Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 6, when Joshua leads the Israelites into the promised land and takes it away from these other tribes. So the people who are living in these Greco Roman cities now in the Decapolis are the descendants of those people. So are they on good terms? No, they are not. 
So when Jesus takes his disciples over there, it's not some little holiday. It's not like, oh, let's go on a field trip, you know, to, to a museum or something like that. So on top of that, the cities of the Decapolis were filled with pagan temples um, featuring all kinds of terrible violence, sexual exploitation, greed, and they worshipped the, uh, the most unclean animal in Israel, the, the animal that the Israelites considered to be the most unclean, which was the pig. And so here's a photo of that. It was regarded as <clears throat> sacred, and so they would, they would worship pigs on the other side of the lake. And in this area, the Decapolis, it, the, it was basically the, the center of Roman power in that region. And, side note, we'll get into this a little bit later, it was filled with legions of Roman soldiers, okay? And what I want you to see here is this. When Jesus says, let's go over there to the other side, it would have challenged everything inside the disciples. It, it's like it's like when I preach a sermon to you about um, maybe about going out and visiting your neighbor and you're like, you kind of cave inside and you're like, maybe some of you are like, I'm not equipped and I don't know what to do. And Jesus, why do you want me to do that? And, you know... And scary, you know, type of thing. And they're like, you're taking us where? You're taking us on that side of the lake? And so it's challenging to them. And they're like, we thought, it's probably also challenging their perception of what they thought his mission was, which they thought it was just to their people, just to the Israelites. And he's like, uh, do you remember when we went through Samaria? Now we're going over here. Like, wake up a little bit, fellas. So what I want you to see is he's challenging their view that those people over there don't matter. They think they don't matter. And he's like, they're like, wait, why would we go over there if they don't matter? Those people over there live a certain way. And so it's probably best to just avoid them, Jesus, if at all possible. But Jesus's words and actions show that this wasn't his view at all. And we're going to touch, again, touch on that again in a minute. But so that's the Decapolis. And now we're going to move on to the person, the man, Legion. So Legion, what do we know about Legion? What do we know about this guy before all of this happens in the story? So he comes out of the tombs to meet them. He's living in the tombs. And then this is really just so symbolic of his existence. He may have been alive, but he's not truly living. He was among the dead. He's in a place where nobody really wants to go. Nobody. It's, so Jesus is like, let's not only let, let's roll up to the shore in the, in the Gesserines, in the Decapolis area with a different group of people that you thought God doesn't care about, disciples, uh, but this dude's coming. I, we, apparently they rolled up on the shore right near a graveyard, and this guy is coming out saying all kinds of crazy, okay? And the text says, that no one was able to restrain him anymore, even with chains. So it suggests that at some, that suggests that they found out a little bit about him at some point. And it suggests that at, at one point in time, people tried to chain him down, probably so that he couldn't do harm to anyone, but also so that he probably couldn't do harm to himself. But at some point that failed, it failed. And then Always, day and night, he's crying out and he's cutting himself with stones. And it's not just during bad periods. Day and night means constantly he's doing this, which means he's basically powerless to fight what's going on inside him. He is hopeless. He doesn't have any future. He 
can't take the torment that he's experiencing. So he's screaming out in anguish. That's really hard for me to imagine that kind of pain and suffering and inner turmoil. Um, so now I'm trying to imagine what the disciples are thinking at this point. And I'm sure many of them are like, uh, Jesus, see what happens when you behave like the pagans do in the capitalists? I mean, I think we do that kind of thing today as well. Straight away, we slip into thinking of judgment uh, and division, which is exactly what Christ came to break. When we see somebody today who's struggling with something or is different from us, we automatically slip into judgment and division. Um, but even just putting myself in the disciples' shoes for a minute makes me realize that I fall into that trap as well. Well, back to Legion. This man had lost everything. He lost his home, he lost his family, he lost his free will. He's lost any sense of peacefulness. He's lost his friends, he's lost his community that he grew up in. The basics of life in a very fundamental way have been ripped away from him. And he's living in a very strange and scary place. His life is strange and scary. And that's a bit about Legion. Now, back to what happens when Jesus gets out of the boat. So as soon as Jesus gets off the boat, this crazy guy comes running at him and his disciples. And when I think about this for a minute, it's like, I am, I don't know about you, but I always, I, I go to movies and I, I, this is something like out of zombie land, like Woody Harrelson and the zombie is either, he's either going to run away. Well, Woody Harrelson never runs away in that movie, but <clears throat> other people do. It's like it's crazy running at you. It's, it's fight or flight when this guy comes out. And I imagine the disciples, what I imagine in my mind is the disciples are all cowering and going, whoa, 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 and they're backing away. And Jesus is just kind of like stoic or something like that. And the rest of them are all like Monty Python style, run away, run away, you know, type of thing. But just before this guy gets to Jesus, he falls to his knees is what the text says. And um, just a, a side commentary here. There's a guy named Alan Cole who says Jesus is immediately recognized for who he is because fear as well as love sharpens the eye. So when Jesus talks to him, here's the question here that I know uh, many people ask. When Jesus talks to him, is the man responding or is it the demons responding? And uh, Cole argues that the demons within Legion recognize the power of the Messiah straight away. And that's why he falls on his knees. And I tend, I agree with that. And one question I want you to think about, because I really think it helps you understand the next few verses, is this question. When Jesus talks to him, is it, is it that man or is it the demon? Um, the man begs Jesus not to torture him. We read in John 10.10 10, that the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He's already called out the impure spirits just by being there. They, they have to recognize him and deal with Jesus in his true form, who he is. But next, as he does in many other stories, Jesus asks this man his name. It's always like somebody confronts Jesus and they want him to answer a question or they want to get in his face. And he's like, well, I got a question for you like that. Or he's like, so what's your deal? What's your name? Like he just goes straight to the heart of what's going on. And that's why I asked you to deal with that question a second ago. It's really important because he responds I am legion, for we are many, which is pretty freaky stuff, if you ask me. The first possible option is that, yeah, it's, it's, this, it's this taken man himself that he is responding. 
His very identity is wrapped up in the name now. He has no separation from what from the demon that has possessed him. So he is legion. That's the first possibility. He's just accepted the way things are. Now, and you think about what you struggle in your life, a lot of times, you whatever it is, especially if it's something internal, maybe it's a sin that you've struggled with. You might just say at some point because you've struggled with it for so long or whatever, you know, or maybe you haven't, you struggle with it off and on during seasons or something like that, that you just kind of go, well, this is the way it is. And you accept that as you, you, you accept it or something like that. Maybe that's what's going on with this man and, and the possession that's happened to him. And he knows that he's, contr- he's controlled by this evil, these evil spirits, and he's unable to stop the thing that's happening to him. Kind of like in, um, I remember the movie Les, Les Miserables, when Jean Valjean, he sings that, he sings, he's singing the Who I Am song, and you can, maybe you can go Google that, look it up on YouTube, and he's wrestling with his identity, because at the start, he's trying to convince the police uh, Inspector Javert, he's, he's saying, my real name is Jean Valjean, and Javert's like, no, you're 24601, that's your prisoner name. Um, but throughout his time in prison, uh, he's always called that. But later on in the courtroom scene, his last words are, even though he's saying I'm Jean Valjean, it, in order to not, he's caught in a, he's caught in a catch-22. Uh, just You have to go watch the movie to, to understand. But at the end of the, of the song, he says, I am 24601. So he's saying, this is a part of me and it'll never be, a, be out of me anymore. And I'm just going to accept it the way it is. And so... Another way, I just try to think of examples of what's going on here in this man that's possessed. Maybe, maybe for those of you who are in Lord of the Rings like me, there's a very similar schizophrenic scene and line in Lord of the Rings where between Smeagol and Gollum, his alter ego, and he's arguing with himself about who he is and who, he, who he's going to be. And ultimately, the ring in the Lord of the Rings has utterly consumed him. So I, all those options, or all those illustrations there are to illustrate option number one, that the man who's talking is the man, but he's accepted Legion into him and he's like, this is the way it is, okay? The second option is that it is fully and completely the demon speaking through him. And it's at that point that we need to realize that the name Legion was powerfully loaded it's obvious that this is a military term for massive amounts of soldiers, thousands of soldiers, in fact. In the New Testament, the standard size of a legion of Roman soldiers was 6,000 men, to which some, probably about 120 cavalry were added to that as well. So you're talking 6,000 men and 120 men on horseback. So since it was such a large number, the term later just came to be used symbolically as an indefinitely large number of, of people, like legions, you know, legions. And so when this man is rushing at Jesus, it is countless demons trying to intimidate Jesus and scare Jesus back on the defensive. It's kind of like Kylo Ren trying to destroy Luke Skywalker in, in uh, The Last Jedi with those adats just firing at him. And then, and he doesn't back down, by the way. It goes like that. I want every gun we have to fire on that man.
think you got him? Sir? This is them trying to scare Jesus. And basically Jesus is like, uh, whatevs, like, whatever, what do you got? I'm Jesus, you know? And, or maybe it was a little more animated. Like, I, I can imagine this like Gandalf at the bridge of Khazad-dûm, back to Lord of the Rings, <clears throat> when he's uh, confronting the Balrog, you know? And he's like, you shall not pass. But really, I think it would have been written down that way if that's what had happened. Like, if Jesus would have like, all of a sudden been like yelled at this guy or gotten really animated, I think it would have been written down like that for us to read it like that. And it's not written like that. What really happens is that Jesus doesn't have to get reactionary and he doesn't get all showy and powerful. He has all the power of the creator of the universe at his disposal and he knows it. And these Demons know it. They recognize that. And he speaks. All he does is speak. Just like in the beginning when the world was created, he says, you're done. Come out of that. Come out of this man. And they follow his commands and he doesn't have to shout. And when you think about that, which of any of his miracles where he's healing or um, doing something like this, does he ever shout? Does he ever? No, he just says, do this or I said this, or that person's healed, or that person is live now, and he doesn't shout or make a big showy thing about it. So in the middle of this story, we're kind of gently introduced to the fact that there are these pigs there. So we're dealing with this guy rushing out, and then, whoa, okay, all of a sudden there's some pigs, okay? They're just kind of ambling around, pretty convenient, right? And the demons beg Jesus to let them go into these pigs. And this is kind of an incredible, it's incredibly weird, but it's an incredible part of the narrative because it proves so much. The demons, they know they're moving on. They know they don't have a choice. And at this point, we know the man is going to be free. And it's about where they go next. Where's the man gonna go? Where are the demons gonna go? And Jesus gives them permission. It's 2,000 pigs. And that gives us a better representation, I think, of legion. We're talking 2,000 pigs and these demons named Legion go into 2,000. You're talking thousands of, of, uh, of demons or a demonic force or presence that has the power of, of that many entities or beings. More than that, it's just massively symbolic, right? Because in that culture, they, they revere and worship pigs. Um, and, and Jesus has mastery over all that there is. And all the pigs run into the lake and are drowned. And the demons who had plagued this man, and not only that place, because they say, you know, don't let us go from this place, this region. It's not just from the man. They, they beg to not be forced away from that place, the location. Now they're gone from that region. Pretty amazing. So the men who are tending the pigs, funnily enough, they run off and go whoever they think needs to know about this. And everybody comes running back. I don't blame, do you blame, if you were there and this was happening, I'd run away too and be like, uh, we, we need some help here. Like something crazy is going down on, down by the lake. And these people come and see Jesus and they see this man who is with him, whose name we don't know. 
and the people who show up, they know immediately that something has changed about this man. And it's a testament to how much this man was affected, how, how crazy and awful and violent and just nuts this guy's life was that this curveball happens in the story. And the curveball is if this man, if this man is now sane and this man is now at peace and he's calm, what kind of power does Jesus have? And they are afraid. Instead of joyful, they're like, oh my gosh. And they beg him to leave. But they have no context for what has happened. So it's understandable to see that the response is one of fear. And what's interesting is that the story doesn't say that Jesus tries to explain himself. He doesn't try to reassure them. He just simply gets into the boat. He just gets in the boat. The people see his power. They see who he is and they choose to reject him. And for some people, that's how it is today. To be honest, they, they see Jesus do something and they can't understand it and they, can't, they don't seem to be able to open their heart to it and so they reject it. So at this point, the man begs Jesus to let him go with Jesus and the disciples because he's just met the Savior. He's met the Messiah, the Christ. His life has been changed. It's been transformed. He's like, yeah, if that happened to you, would you want to stay with this man? Yeah, I would too. It makes sense that he wants to spend more time with Jesus. And here's the second curveball. Jesus then refuses. He sends him back. However, Jesus isn't sending him back to where he was. He's sending him back to life. And it's a life that this man never thought he would have again, back to his family, back to his village, back to maybe some of his childhood friends, back to those who either haven't heard what happened to him or who have heard but haven't believed it. And, and he gets to go, yeah, it, it did happen. And I'm, I am saved from that crazy, vicious, violent existence. And then he gets to tell them about who it was that saved him. And so after Jesus tells him to go back and the disciples sail away across the lake, this man probably had a moment. Maybe it was a few seconds, a few minutes. Maybe it was like he just sat down for an hour and cried. I don't know. Um, but eventually he walks back to his city or town in the Decapolis and he could have he could have just decided to, to walk back to where he had been. He could have just said, I'm not gonna, I feel ashamed and I don't want to go around anybody because of all the craziness and violence that I caused and maybe people that he hurt. And he could have just stayed out in the wilderness or he could have like moved way far away and tried to live someplace else, hidden away from people and not tell anyone about the miraculous thing, the new life that he had. Just meet Jesus and then not tell anybody. Um, we know that this was a pagan society, and so this wouldn't have been an easy thing at all. He could have lived out his days in a cave or, you know, a symbolic cave and not really um, dealt with telling anybody else about what had happened to him. His life would have been unbelievably better than it was, though. Peaceful, no legion of demons living inside him. He has no... He really has no explanation for what has happened to him. Maybe he wasn't even aware 
of what was happening to him, uh, of him himself. Maybe it was only the, the demons were aware of what was going on and he had no clue and then he just kind of wakes up out of a trance. I don't know. If people ask him to tell his story about how it happened, he might well just have to say, I don't know how it happened, but it did. And this is, this is my story. I can't explain it, but I'm a different person now. He was entirely unqualified, totally unqualified, aside from his experience and interaction and in the, in the act of meeting Jesus, the Christ, and the new life that he found himself following in following that. That's what he, that's what qualifies him. He met Jesus and his life is different now. And now he's qualified. He would seemingly be unqualified, but now, now he's not because he met Jesus. And for him, this walk away from the shore to wherever he went in the Decapolis could have been the first time he was truly, this is crazy to think about, but this could have been the first time in a long time where he was ever alone, like in and of himself. If he was possessed by legions of demons, now he's alone. The only voice in his head is his voice. That's unbelievable to think about. How long did he have to suffer with that? So now he's faced with a massive decision. Fast forward to Mark chapter 7, verse 31, and we read that Jesus returns to the Decapolis at this point. He's probably, the disciples are like, oh boy, we're going back. And there, when he gets there, people brought this deaf man to him and begged him to heal him. And it says, that he had to take this man away the, from the crowds before he did it, because it was just massive crowds that want to see this. They want to see what happens. They're just crushing in. And when you read that, it, it, when you read that, I have to ask this question, what does it show? It shows me, if you go back to this story at the end of it, it says he went back telling people, this guy went and did what Jesus told him to do. He went to the Decapolis, this region of 10 cities. I think he did this. He gone back to where he grew up. And even though he probably feels unqualified, he goes and tells his story. And he tells the story of what Jesus did for them. And this time, when Jesus shows up on the scene in the Decapolis, the people are ready. They are afraid. And they're ready to receive him. And they welcome him. And this turns us on to the power of story, my story and your story and how we have a story that's uh, enmeshed and intertwined with Jesus, if you've met him. Because I've spoken to some people within my role as pastor uh, about their stories of meeting Jesus. And I have to tell you, traditionally we call this a testimony, but often people have said, well, my story is not very good. I don't have some dramatic conversion or saving story like this. I wasn't, I wasn't like this super evil person, blah, 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 and my life got changed around, or it's, not, it's just not very exciting or something like this. But I want to tell you something. Every single story I have ever heard, whether it was a story that took years to transpire or whether it was in, a, in one moment, all of them, when people tell me how they met Jesus and how their life changed, whether they thought they were not exciting or not, they were amazing. They were absolutely amazing. Those stories they, they are so inspiring and, and they are deeply truthful and meaningful in that person's life. And that means that those stories are worth telling. They are worth telling. Your story is worth telling. 
Don't let yourself believe anything less. So here are a few implications for today. Maybe the challenge for some of us today is that we've retreated to our caves, that we've had this Jesus encounter at some point. Maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe you've been in the church for a long time, but you haven't been sharing your story. Maybe it was decades ago. And you back yourself into a little corner and it's kind of easier to take this, this road where you don't really have to engage with others and tell your story. Maybe it's time for you to move out of your cave. And maybe for some of us, the challenge is, maybe we feel like that freed man on that walk and we don't understand everything. We don't really understand what has happened, but we know our life is different. And then we start thinking things like, well, I don't know my Bible and I don't know Christianity. I don't know theology or whatever. We don't feel like we have the answers that if I go and tell my story, somebody's going to ask me a question. If I don't have the answer, it's just pointless anyway. I want you to look at this man and, and what he prepared the way for Jesus in that when Jesus came back. You don't have to know all those answers. We, we may feel like we don't know how to talk about Jesus in our lives because we don't understand it ourselves. But maybe you just need to work on that a little bit or get some help with that. But don't stop. Don't stop sharing your story. So number one, we could retreat. Number two, we don't have the answers. Number three is maybe you don't have a story. Um, in a minute, we'll have another time of worship. But I, And I encourage you as we sing to, wor to worship God and bring your situation before him. Whatever it is, give it to him. Tell him about it and let, let him minister to you. If that's you, think about where you might be within this whole story. And God will meet you there, and it will be amazing.